Gotham Sound is your one-stop audio solution for microphones, mixers, recorders, podcasting, and wireless. Whether you're looking to rent or buy sound equipment, are working at a church, feature film, a television show, podcast, theater, or a student project, Gotham Sound is here to serve you. With a huge selection of new and used gear, it's your first stop before you buy. Gotham Sound has the pro audio you need to make your project sound true professional. Gotham has been around for 18 years perfecting pro audio. Visit us at GothamSound.com. It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Well, it's Abraham Lincoln's birthday, and uh, we're with the best in the business, an acclaimed author, an acclaimed book, A. Lincoln, A Biography. Uh, our special guest, Ronald C. White, he joins us, and welcome to the program. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice. Total sound control products from Oralex enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. Ronald, 15,000 books have been written about Abraham Lincoln. Your book has been singled out uh, as a prestigious book, the research and the scholarship that has gone into it, one of the best. Why do you think that is? Well, every generation certainly wants to hear about Lincoln. I think we write biographies to get examples from the past, and and I think it's also a mirror to the present. I think we're today especially looking for people who are kind of moral leaders, and Lincoln fits that bill. Yeah, and you know, in preparation, of course, you know, the scholar that I am, uh, I uh, I saw the uh, Steven Spielberg movie uh, Lincoln in preparation for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it seven times. <laughs> Have you read? <laughs> uh, well, I was going to ask Taking you about friends to it. <laughs> now, tell me about that movie before we go to your book. I mean, what what did you think of it? You think Daniel Day Lewis did a good job? Was it was it accurate? Were you excited about it? Or obviously, you were if you you saw it seven times. I was excited. I think Daniel Day Lewis did a tremendous job. As I understand it, he literally was Lincoln twenty four hours a day as he wow. played that part. Not every single thing is accurate in the movie, but mostly it got it. 
who is who is Lincoln? Uh, the one couple of things uh, where he said, I ha- I'm the president of the United States and I have enormous power. He almost never referred to himself as the president of the United States, and he wouldn't speak of himself as having enormous power. The beauty of the man was actually his quite remarkable humility. Also, when the 13th Amendment was passed, the state of Connecticut was quite upset because it said that they voted against the 13th Amendment. Well, obviously, as a New England state, they voted for the 13th Amendment. And everybody pointed that out. But the movie people said, well, we know that, but it makes a better story. (laughs) But I loved it because most movies today, if you think about it, are sex violence and pyrotechnics you got it and (laughs) this was a movie about ideas and the fact that young people could actually try to enter into the ideas that lincoln was talking about for me made it such an exceptional movie yeah, I wanted to see just from your point of view, just how you know accurate it was and and the acting job as well. Um, let's get down to some uh, Lincoln trivia. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, okay. I, I try to just, you know, brace myself because, I mean, you're the, the master of this. You know, everything there is about Abraham Lincoln. I had no idea that he had like a 14 size, you know, shoe or something to that effect. He, he was six feet, four inches tall. And if you think about it, people in the 19th century were much smaller than people today. If he were to enter a room today, he would probably be six feet nine or six feet ten. He was extremely tall as for his time and for our time. And you see like the cerebral man, you know, he's on the $5 bill, of course. He's on a penny uh, in courts. And you could, of course, name all the other areas where he's at, uh, his, uh, his face, his, uh, his likeness. I didn't know he was a wrestler. I mean, that, that was something I found out about, that he actually was a, a wrestler. He was a very athletic man. I mean, he did the kind of things that athletes did in the 19th century, kind of almost an early version of baseball. And he was a great wrestler. And this was a way that he kind of won his way with the masculine crowd, that he wrestled the champion of the Clary Mountain Boys. And this was a way he proved himself. So although in one level he was a very gentle man, he could also be a wrestler when it was called for when he was young. In being his birth, do we spend enough time on Abraham Lincoln? I mean, you know, I remember in school, you know, the gloss over that and George Washington. But uh, it seems like his significance, uh, the mark that he's left on our country, uh, deems that we should spend more time talking about him. Do you uh, lament that a little bit during Abraham Lincoln's birthday, that we don't spend more time about his about his accomplishment and uh, what he's done? I do. You know, in the whole idea, which has some value that we are trying to encourage students to do testing, history is not part of the testing. So I have been part of doing seminars for high, middle school and high school teachers all across this country, Kentucky, California, Hawaii, lots of different places. And, 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 and again, taking the birthday of Lincoln away from February 12, it kind of gets lost in President's Day. So I do not I do agree that we are not spending the kind of time on Lincoln. We need his example. We need our young people need to know more of who he is. I walked in today where I work at the Huntington Library in San Marino, California, and I said, this is a special day. Can you tell me what it is? (laughs) And no one could. (laughs) I said, that's an extra credit question. 
February 12th, <laughs> Lincoln's birthday. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I'll bet you, though, you let me in. And by the way, you know, our special guest, uh, Ronald C. White, he's uh, spoken at the White House. I mean, you have, uh, yes. we're going to go over your, your illustrious credits in, in just a bit. But uh, I mean, what an honor. And so uh, when you think about the people in the White House, uh, the people who are in politics, do they appreciate Abraham Lincoln? Well, I was introduced to President George W. Bush, and he did appreciate Lincoln. Every president has the option in the Oval Office of putting the photograph or painting of someone important to them. Bill Clinton had Thomas Jefferson. George W. Bush had Abraham Lincoln. And I think we often have different perceptions of a president. We might have a public perception, but when you meet a person, it might be different. I found George W. Bush, a very thoughtful, personable leader. I've written three books on Lincoln. He has read them all. And for each one, this says more about him than me. He wrote me a handwritten letter. Wow. Thanking me for each book and telling me what he thought in the book touched him. So, yes, there are presidents. And I think, obviously, Barack Obama would be the other one who has been very much caught up in the story of Lincoln and his own life. Yeah. That's what I heard. And we're going to be right back in just a bit with Ronald C. White. He is the author of the famous book, A Lincoln, A Biography. We'll be right back after these words. The world and everything in it delivers sound journalism grounded in God's Word through a daily 30-minute podcast. From essential headlines to feature stories to international news straight from the field. After only one or two listens, you'll wonder how you got through your daily routine without it. Listen anywhere you typically enjoy podcasts or by going to wng.org slash podcast. Charlotte Christian College and Theological Seminary believes that every Christian has a distinct calling and that he or she must boldly respond to that call. Charlotte Christian specializes in equipping the adult learner and all degrees are available both online and on campus. Degree fields include urban Christian ministry, biblical studies, pastoral studies, and more. So whether you are called to full-time ministry or as a co-vocational minister, Charlotte Christian can help you. Visit us at charlottechristian.edu or call 704-334-6882. Okay, we're back with Ronald C. White. He is the illustrious author of the book, A Lincoln, A Biography. And we're talking about uh, presidents who have appreciated Abraham Lincoln and in the fabric of our society, how we as Americans should appreciate Abraham Lincoln. We want to find out 15,000 books have been written on the subject our author, our special guest, Ronald C. White, he's one of the best. This book has been singled out. And in reading the reviews, it's interesting that people who are uh, Lincoln buffs, they've read everything on the subject. But somehow your book, it seemed like more detail, more uh, the fluidity of it all. Uh, what, do you, what have you done <laughs> in your research? Of course, you've written three books about Abraham Lincoln. But what are you doing that others are missing? I mean, you would think that they would start to sound the same, but they don't. Well, one of my challenges to myself, David Donald, professor at Harvard, who won two Pulitzer Prizes, offered a marvelous blurb for my first Lincoln book. I had never met him until we were taken out to dinner by a mutual friend. He said, this book is both learned and accessible. This is my book on the second inaugural. And my conviction is that we have many learned books that are not accessible, and we have many accessible books that are not learned. So I am thrilled when a 15 or 16-year-old 
comes up to me and says, Dr. White, I just read your book on Lincoln and I so appreciate it. I'm trying to be learned, hopefully scholarly, doing the research, but I want this book to be accessible for a larger public. Yes, and I will toot your horn since you're so humble, okay? So A. Lincoln, a biography, <laughs> A. Lincoln, a biography, 2009, New York Times, Washington Post, and Los Angeles Times bestseller, USA Today, says if you read one book about Lincoln, make it A. Lincoln. Of course, your book, it was honored, best books, uh, 2009, Washington Post, the Christian Science Monitor, and I mean, the list just kind of goes on, and you've spoken at the White House. Um, what about schools? Do schools? Uh, do they oh, I, I love I love speaking at schools. I've spe- I've spoken at about seven different high schools all across the country, from Massachusetts to the uh, Punahou School in Honolulu that Barack Obama attended as a boy. And I love the challenge. Most high school students are studying American history in the eleventh grade, so the opportunity to speak to students really. I every time I get a chance, I say yes. This is the audience I want to reach. And the schools are doing Abraham Lincoln justice the way that they're getting across the history. And uh, I mean, just at the very basics, he's very different looking, isn't he? I mean, when you look at the pictures he, he, of Abraham Lincoln, he's, he really kind of stands out. He's an odd person. He had this wonderful self-deprecating humor. And uh, he one time he said, people have called me two-faced. He said, would you like to have even one of my faces? You know, he could poke fun at himself. I think that's missing in today's politics. One Sunday afternoon, he, he was an inveterate newspaper reader, many more newspapers then than now. And he was reading about seven different newspapers in the White House on this afternoon. And when he finished the seventh, he turned to his young secretary, John Hay, and he said, Lincoln, you really are a dog. <laughs> he was he reading all the criticisms of himself and he got it. You know, he laughed about it and went forward. So let's get down to business here. Yes. <laughs> this, this uh, because you, you put a lot of work into this book. And what do we really need to know as Americans? Uh, how Abraham Lincoln has changed society, has changed uh, the fabric of, um, I, I would just say, the Constitution or, you know, the articles of, of uh, what we have today to go by. But what's the major impact that you would like to, to get across to our listeners? Well, let's start with this. Before Abraham Lincoln became president, everybody said the United States are. By that, we meant that the United States was really viewed as a collection of states. The state was the basic reality. Now we, without even thinking about it, we say the United States is. Lincoln changed our language. We now think of ourselves first and foremost as a nation. Yes, the states are important, but first and foremost as a nation. So secondly, that I wanted to bring out, I think there's a remarkable faith story here in Lincoln. I'm troubled that as we write biographies today for probably several different reasons, the faith of the people that we write about is really absent in the writing. I think the scholar may think, oh, that was the 19th century or the 18th century. Oh, yes, people were religious then. Uh, No, I think there's a profound faith journey here. Lincoln was born in Kentucky, grew up in Indiana. His parents were very much impacted by what was called the Second Great Awakening. This was a movement of revivalism. But he was turned off by some of the emotionalism of it. The preachers were very, very emotional. So he did what a lot of young people then and now do. He kind of rejected the faith of his parents. He had to go his own way. And then as I tell the story, life tumbled in, first in 1850, 
the death of the first child, Eddie, at three and a half, 1862, the death of another child, Eddie, uh, Willie, age 11. And Lincoln now has to take a fresh look at the meaning of faith, as many of us do when life tumbles in. He couldn't accept, really embrace the emotional faith of his parents, so he turned to a more thoughtful Presbyterian tradition. He found it in his pastor in Washington, D.C. And when you get to the second inaugural, this is a profoundly Christian document. He quotes the Bible four times. He names God 14 times. He invokes prayer three times. This is a missing part of the Lincoln biography that I wanted to bring to the fore. Well, we know that he's known as being a great leader, and so you believe that uh, his uh, close relationship to God, and it's something perhaps that people don't mention enough of, uh, was the fabric and thread behind his leadership, you're saying? Absolutely, because when he says at the end of the second inaugural address, delivered 41 days before he was assassinated, with malice toward none, with charity for all, well, this is really the whole understanding of the Christian faith that we are to be forgiving of each other, that Christ has forgiven us, and therefore we ought to live out this ethic in our own lives. And so where does this come from with malice toward none, with charity for all? Well, two and a half years before, after the second battle of Bull Run, or sometimes called the second battle of Manassas, the North had suffered another tragic, terrible defeat. Lincoln sat down, unknown to anyone, and wrote out on a little piece of paper, he didn't title it, He didn't sign it. He didn't date it. And he began, the will of God prevails. In great contests, both parties claim to act according to the will of God. Both cannot be right. One must be wrong. And then this profound sentence, it may be that God's purpose is different from the purpose of either party, but yet God uses the human effects to affect his purpose. Well, no one knew of this document. It really, for me, is the antecedent of his great second inaugural address. I'm arguing that Lincoln was on a private faith journey that only became public at the very end of his life. And I'm working on a new book on Lincoln, what I call the private Abraham Lincoln, where there's a lot of these little fragments or notes to himself where you begin to sense the development of his ideas. And a little bit of Lincoln trivia, once again, I hear that under the top hat, and I'm sure there's another name for that, but under those, the, those <laughs> large hats that he, he kept his, uh, his notes and he kept, uh, he kept money under there. Is that true? He did. I mean, he, he put the notes everywhere, but he actually would sometimes put them under his tall top hat. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to go over. We want to come back with uh, our special guest, Ronald C. White, right after this. Uh, his illustrious book, A. Lincoln, and you should go out and get it if you want to find out more about the, the impact that Abraham Lincoln has done in our country. And uh, It's uh, a biography. A. Lincoln will be right back after these words. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions, the ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. 
God has designed you for a unique purpose. Get equipped for God's call with a degree from Clark Summit University. Choose from undergraduate and master's degrees, available completely online in programs like business, counseling, Bible, and education. For some programs, it's possible to earn your degree in as little as two years, or you can complete the degree you previously started. See if you qualify for a tuition discount. Answer God's call on your life and become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate. Go to clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. That's clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. Christians in Action Missions International is actively accepting applications from those desiring to win the lost at any cost. We've been sending long-term missionaries throughout the world for 62 years. We emphasize intentional personal evangelism, equipping disciples, and planting churches among the nations. We empower national leadership to demonstrate and declare the love of God to the unreached. Journey with us as we take the gospel to the world. Log on at cinami.org. Org. That's CINAMI.org or call 559-370-4103. We're with Ronald C. White, our special guest, and the book A. Lincoln, a biography, of course, it's Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And, and I have to ask, do you get a lot of calls from press around this time of year when it's close to Abraham or is it a different time of the year? Because once again, you've spoken at the White House and you're the authority on this subject. Well, obviously you do on Lincoln's birthday, but it occurs at unusual times. About uh, four months ago, I, you know, your, your phone rings today and you don't know whether you want to pick it up. You don't know who it is. And so it said Area 202. Well, I knew that was Washington, D.C. So I thought, oh, I'll pick it up. And the voice on the other end said, hello, this is Peter Baker. I'm the chief White House correspondent wow. for the New York Times. Did <laughs> you know that a new Lincoln Bible has just surfaced in Springfield? And what happened was Lincoln was given a Bible after his death. Mary Lincoln gave it to their his best friend, their neighbors, and people forgot about it. And the grandchildren or great-grandchildren of these neighbors walked over four months ago to the Abraham Lincoln Library in Springfield and said, we have this Bible that Mary Lincoln gave to our ancestors in 1872. So Peter Baker of the New York Times said, I'm talking to you, Ron, because I think you know more about Lincoln and especially about Lincoln's faith. What was what was the importance of the Bible for Abraham Lincoln? So that kind of story surfaced, a fascinating story. Yeah. Well, that really is. I mean, and so what became of that, the, the Bible and uh, and looking at it? Sometimes it reminds me of like the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, sometimes you want yes. to say, are they, are they authentic? And so this was the real deal. This was the real deal. It's not that Lincoln, this wasn't his personal Bible. He was given several Bibles in his lifetime. This is something that you would have done in the 19th century. He, he spoke at a fair in Philadelphia, and the women at the end of the fair, in to, attempting to honor him, gave him a Bible. So he had a lot of Bibles. You might remember that Barack Obama swore uh, his oath of office on a Lincoln Bible. Yes. But now here's a new Bible, and now it's going to be at the Abraham Lincoln Library in Springfield. I want to know what uh, Abraham Lincoln means to you on a personal level, because you're very eloquent when you start reading uh, his speeches and the way that I'm sure you have many memorized even. Uh, and, you know, we don't talk like that as Americans today. We, we forget. It's kind of like the King James English of the Bible, how beautiful and the poetry and the prose. And uh, it's just lost uh, in today's language. But uh, there's something to be learned in these beautiful uh 
you know, what he's done with the, the writings and uh, the letters, if you will. And uh, what does it mean to you? And, and what do you see in those beautiful, uh, the writings of Abraham Lincoln? Well, it's fascinating that you would ask that question, because I have been asked that question also, Michael, by a number of people. Has this impacted you or how has it? I like to think that it's hopefully tried to make me a better person, to make me a more generous person, a more magnanimous person, to pay attention to writing and to words, to pay attention to actually handwriting, which I'm sad to say cursive handwriting is disappearing. Believe it or not, I will wake up at three o'clock in the morning thinking about Lincoln. I think I'm actually living with him. And I think <laughs> you have to do that. You know, I don't know that a 25-year-old person could write a biography of Lincoln. You bring your own life experience and you want to let Lincoln's life influence you, the way you think about life, the way you approach life. So I've been living with him now, I say, for about 25 years. And it's, it's just been a transformative experience to live with this man. <laughs> I mean, and, and when you talked about Barack Obama, the other president, is it George W. Bush? That's the other one, right? Yes, George W. Bush, yes. Yeah, I mean, and what does it mean to them as well? I mean, in politics, what kind of inspiration do you think they get from Abraham Lincoln? Well, I know that George W. Bush has read at least 16 books on Lincoln. And I, and, and I know I'm, I've never met Barack Obama, but I'm assuming that he has read many also. I think the, this Lincoln is an example, kind of almost a mentor, you could say, to both of these men as they attempted, we might agree or disagree with their policies, but they attempted to live out not simply that, you know, Lincoln can't answer the question of climate change. He can't tell us what to do in Iraq or Afghanistan, but he offers a spirit, the way we ought to govern, the way we ought to respect each other. And I think both of those men, in their own ways, tried to live out that kind of leadership. All right. And, and Bible trivia, once again, <laughs> I know I can't stop you, you know, <laughs> but th these are just, you know, I, I understand what is it, 18. Uh, he went to school, Abraham Lincoln, um, but he didn't go to school to officially become a lawyer. Is that right? It was it was, uh, you know, he practiced law without a, a license. Well, what happened was in, in his time, he uh, First of all, let's remember that he only had one year of formal education. What do I mean? That's amazing. Well, in his time, boys would be working in the fields with their fathers who were farmers. But in January and February, when it was too cold to do so, there would be teachers, kind of itinerant teachers traveling through. And a group of families would hire that teacher to teach 12 boys or 15 boys in the neighborhood. Then, so that was Lincoln's education. It was never a formal education at all. Then when he becomes a lawyer, he becomes a politician. He, he, his first office was in 1834. In that very year, John Todd Stewart, who was a fellow politician and lawyer, said to Lincoln, I think you should also become a lawyer. This will really help you. Well, most people then and now became a lawyer first and then a politician. Lincoln was a politician first and then a lawyer. Interesting. Well, in 1834, there were only seven law schools in the United States and only two in the West, Cincinnati, Ohio, West being Cincinnati, Ohio, and Lexington, Kentucky. So Lincoln neither studied at a law school nor did he clerk in a law office. When he was asked to write a campaign biography for president in 1860, in his own terse language, he says, I studied with nobody. 
I studied with nobody. What he did was he walked from New Salem, where he lived, 21 miles or went by horseback, and he borrowed books from Stewart's library. He was actually accredited as a lawyer. The first test was not a law exam. There was no law exam. He was certified as a man of good moral character. Mm, And then he was was given a license in 1837 to practice law, and he became John Todd Stewart's junior law partner. Okay, that's interesting. Because they make it sound like he, you know— didn't really study. I don't know. This I heard different things. Like well, he, he, he studied in a sense that he, he studied law books. Exactly. And in the sense, Stuart, when he, who who was his first senior partner, was in a sense kind of a mentor to him. Yeah. How different is Abraham Lincoln when you consider, um, you know, where he stands among, you know, just what are some of the oddities about him that are different, or would you say that he fits right in with other presidents? Well, I was privileged, uh, Michael, in 2017, C-SPAN conducted its third presidential historian survey of the 21st century. They did one in 2000, 2007, 2017. Lincoln finished first in all three of those surveys. Part of it, we have to be honest, is what was the, con- what was the problem he was facing? George Washington finishes very high, the American Revolution. Franklin Delano Roosevelt finishes very high, the Second World War. So Lincoln leads us through our greatest crisis, the Civil War. And I think part of his high marks is that he did so in a way perhaps as well or better than anyone else could have ever done so. He exhibited both strength, the Union must prevail in what became a very hard war. People thought originally the war would last three, four, five months because the North had far more many, many, more many men in arms and a much greater industrial base, but the war goes on for more than four years. But he also, at the end, is extremely magnanimous towards the South. He combines strength and magnanimity in a very distinctive way, I believe. When you think about ending slavery, I mean, how huge that yes. was. And, uh, oh, absolutely uh, huge, yes. I mean, really, and so you'd have to be some kind of persuasive person <laughs> because I'm sure that, you know, people weren't accustomed to that. Many people were offended by that. Of course, times are so outrageously, you know, people, people didn't understand really that that's not right or they did understand it wasn't right. And they did it anyway. And uh, here he is. What, so how did he have that kind of impact able to unite uh, the parties to say no more slavery? Well, Michael, you raise a good point because even though, the, the, the basic purpose of the beginning of the Civil War was to preserve the Union. And when Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1, 1863, within it was the provision that African Americans might participate in the Union Army. But actually, most people thought, well, they'll just help do the jobs at the, at the back of the line. They certainly wouldn't fight. And then when Lincoln suggests, no, they could also fight, This offended many, many, many white Union soldiers. So people were not into social equality, but they did recognize that slavery was a way of taking away the strength of the Confederacy. And Lincoln, in the Gettysburg Address, argues that the nation now needs a new birth of freedom. He actually argues, whether this was true or not, that when Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, that this really did include all men, African-American as well as white men. So yes, there was much opposition to the Emancipation Proclamation, 
But I, Lincoln, when he signed it, said to people around him, I think this will remain my greatest accomplishment. If people look back upon him, he thought this was his greatest accomplishment, signing the Emancipation Proclamation. Absolutely. And you wonder how people change their mind from knowing that (laughs) morally this is wrong, that slavery is wrong. Yes. And how all of a sudden they change their mind that one moment in, you know, our history. And uh, how amazing. I mean, that was part of, in that movie, Lincoln, just you can see they knew that the, the thread of, uh, of history and, and the weight of it and the balances of it, all that was hanging on it, you know. Um, do you think that, wh- why do you think it happened at that particular point in time? Well, Lincoln had offered to the so-called four border states the idea that he would purchase the slaves and that they could emancipate them all the way up to 1895 that he recognized that they thought slaves were property. Okay, I'll pay you for your property. But then when the four border states kind of rebuffed him in the summer of 1862, he said, all right, if you're not willing to do this, then I'm going to go all out and I'm going to simply emancipate the slaves. And I'm going to do so as both a political and a military matter. The more interesting recent question is, did Lincoln really care about the slaves? Did he have... uh, or was this simply a political matter? I was speaking at a meeting yesterday morning in uh, Los Angeles, and a gentleman, African-American gentleman, very esteemed gentleman, came up and asked me that question. So I told him this story. I said in 1864, a year later, after signing the proclamation, the governor of Kentucky, who was very outraged at Lincoln because all the African-Americans were leaving the fields, the agricultural fields of Kentucky and joining the Union Army, He came to see Lincoln. He'd written him three letters. He wasn't satisfied with Lincoln's response. He came to see Lincoln. And Lincoln said these words to him, I am naturally anti-slavery. If slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. And I cannot remember when I did not so think and feel. So I want to argue that Lincoln felt this, that he was empathetic to African-Americans. It wasn't simply a military or political decision, but there was a feeling decision here. These people deserve their freedom. Ronald, do we not uh, memorize these speeches uh, years ago? Not so important today. I mean, uh, let's just say that we did memorize the speeches of Abraham Lincoln. Somehow I remember, you know, uh, we did more of that years ago. What would be the importance of that if we, because again, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, uh, it meant something to them in a very big way. And, and do you think it would change us? Do you think it would change Americans if uh, they kind of focused on that, even on the TV for uh, Abraham Lincoln's birthday? Uh, what would these speeches do for us? How would they change us? I couldn't agree more. Something happened some decades ago, both in school and in church, where we somehow came up with the idea, well, this is only rote memory. And so we, we got away from memorizing the Bible. We got away from memorizing the Gettysburg Address. When I ask an audience, how many of you have memorized the Gettysburg Address? Older people in the audience will say yes, although some younger teachers will say, I am now asking my students to do so. But we're not into memorization. There's a, there's a whole craft right. of memorization. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, in 2009, the State Department asked if I would go to Germany and speak about Abraham Lincoln. So I was there speaking in Berlin at the Free University of Berlin, the greatest, one of the two greatest libraries, um, American libraries, the others in Oxford in Europe and Great Britain, 
we went out to dinner afterwards. I like to say this jokingly in, in Berlin to a to a an Italian restaurant, <laughs> and and a young graduate student sitting next to me from the Free University said, "I love Abraham Lincoln." One of my favorite talks that he gave was his farewell address at Springfield when he was leaving Springfield to take a train to Washington. He said, could I say it to you from memory? So here this young German wow. student in a second language, his, his language, first language is German, says to me from memory, Lincoln's farewell address at Springfield. Boy, was I impressed. And the reason- I think you're right. I, I, yeah, we, if we would memorize these, they would become much more important. Yeah, we're going to be right back. Ronald C. White, our special guest, the book, A. Lincoln, a biography. And uh, just so you know, uh, Ronald's uh, essays, he's uh, appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, Christian Science Monitor, and New York Daily News, also lectured at the White House, as we mentioned, been interviewed on PBS NewsHour. And we're going to have remaining moments with him and how Abraham Lincoln has affected our country right after this. Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz with Redemption Press here. Are you a coach, pastor, blogger, small group leader, thought leader, ministry, or industry professional with a message that could benefit others? If so, we'd love to help you produce a professional book that can open new doors and be an impact to other people's lives. We'd love to hear about your idea and see how we can help with our personalized writing coaches and professional editorial team. Visit redemption-press.com. Every day, over three and a half million children walk, bike, and ride to a Christian school. Every day. But many of our schools are in danger of closing. Our Christian schools are too important to our children, to our families, and to our nation to let that happen. Christian School Management at christianschoolmanagement.org is dedicated to the health of our Christian schools. Contact christianschoolmanagement.org to help your Christian school fill and stay filled with children impacting our nation. All right, Ronald C. White, our special guest, A. Lincoln. If you're into Abraham Lincoln, a lot of people are. They've written uh, or read a lot of books, 15,000 books on the subject, but this one seems to stand out if you do your research, and uh, certainly he has, Ronald C. White, A. Lincoln, a biography. And so uh, what about Donald Trump? I don't know if, uh, you know, it's always a loaded question, right? <laughs> I don't know, you're, I don't know if you're, you're pro-Trump, against Trump, uh, with Trump, but, uh, w- you know, do you gather uh, what other presidents and how they feel about, uh, about Abraham Lincoln? And so I have to ask, uh, what about Donald Trump? How does uh, President Trump feel about Abraham Lincoln? I don't know if he's mentioned that or not. Well, I've learned a response from the great historian David McCullough who when people would ask him about the current president, he would say, I'm an historian. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's very difficult to talk about any present or current president. I think it'll take 20, 25, 35 years for us to look back on not simply Donald Trump, but say Barack Obama, even George W. Bush, and say, well, now let's take the measure of them now. In the heat of the moment, you know, people were all upset, George W. Bush, the war in Iraq, but let's take a little time off and then we'll look at it. So I prefer to say I'm an historian. I would say this, that the the, the best presidents, that uh, uh, certainly Lincoln and Grant would be a part of this, are really readers. And I worry not simply about any leader, but all the rest of us. Are we reading? I just want people to read. and That's why hmm. Lincoln is so important, to read Abraham Lincoln. Well, thank you very, very much for this conversation. It's been very meaningful to me. 
I appreciate your thoughtfulness in inviting me to be part of your program. Oh, we're happy. You know, we can we can go on and on as I have, but we have to come. <laughs> I guess it has to come to an end sometime. But Ronald C. White, our special guest, a link in a biography. Go get the book. And again, thanks for being on the program. Thank you so much, Michael. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.